This episode of Bright Hearth is brought to you by Backwards Planning Financial, Indigo Sundry Soap Co., Stonecrop Wealth Advisors, and by our supporters at Patreon.com. We hope you have enjoyed this Q&A season of Bright Hearth. This episode's actually going to mark the final entry in this season. But don't fret, dear listener. No, we'll be turning the corner into some fun topics that we think will be both interesting and helpful next, but I won't spoil the surprise for you here. Before that next season launches, season four of Bright Hearth, we'll have a few episodes in between seasons that didn't quite fit anywhere, but which we've wanted to do for a while now. So keep looking for us in your podcast feed every other Monday for those. We want to say thank you to every one of you for making us a part of your commute, your morning routine, your gym headphone mix, or wherever else you're listening in, probably power walking through your neighborhood in your 80s workout apparel, you know, the usual kind of thing for Bright Hearth listeners. Well, now in this final episode, we're going to be tackling a whole junk drawer of questions that you sent in. That's why this episode is entitled The Whole Kitchen Sink, because you guys sent in a metric ton of questions more than we would have any hope of answering in a single season. So we're going to try to grab some of the most popular ones and uh, answer those for you here in this final episode. So buckle up and enjoy this final episode here in season three. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12.13 Well, welcome back to Bright Hearth, everybody. Brian Sauvey here, joined by my lovely wife, Lexi. Lexi, say hi to the people. Hello. We're in a new location. We are. We are 12 feet above (laughs) our previous location. Yes. We decided to move rooms. And man, what a great idea, babe, that you had in moving rooms, because this is now my favorite place to be. You should have listened to me three years ago. I should have, guys. And and here's the thing. The first question is, should you listen to your wife? And and here's the thing. <laughs> Look, some of the time, yes. Other times, ask Adam. Oh, that's because true. you listen to the voice that's of your of true. your wife. That's I'm true. I'm just kidding. This was not one of those situations. This one did not lead to the fall of the human race. That's true. It just led to us having a higher ceiling, you know? We have more square footage up here. That's more space. A wood floor under a our feet. A wood floor. Oh, it's so nice, guys. But you're not here <laughs> to talk about our bedroom, although some of the comments seem to claim that's all we talk about. But you know what? It's not true, guys. It's not true. There's more to Bright Hearth than just me flirting with Lexi, coming up with a, a podcast as an excuse to flirt with yeah, my wife. Yeah, There's actually more to it than that. <laughs> Uh, Like I said, here in this final episode, we're going to be answering a bunch of questions. So I want to get right to it. But one thing, and that's the conference. Oh, you guys need to sign up, come to the conference. It's going to be a great time, June 6th to the 8th. And why should Bright Hearth listeners who are unattached come to the conference? We're unattached? Unattached. Unattached to what? I don't get it. A husband or a wife. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because we're hosting a singles mixer. So you should come. We are. And how much is it for a lady to come to the singles mixer? I think you said a dollar. It's one dollar. It's a dollar. <laughs> so ladies, sign up. Guys, sign up. Uh, it's going to be a great time. We're going to do that singles mixer the very first evening of the con- uh, I almost said concert, of the conference, so that you have the whole rest of the, the conference to kind of like awkwardly wonder if that other person may be interested, I don't know, in continuing the conversation. So- not really. So you can say, hey, why don't we, would you like to come to lunch with my group? Yep. A yep. lot of opportunities, guys. So 
check that out. There's a link in the description to the conference sign up. All the details are there. And I think you can go to newchristendompress.com slash conference, but the link will be in below if in case I got that wrong. Any other housekeeping before we jump in? I don't think so. You're looking really nice tonight. It's a comfy chair. I got you a chair. I put it right across from me. We have a seat. It's great, man. It's great up here. So our kids are watching Lord of the Rings extended the two towers right below us. They just finished it. They're watching it again. So we could write hard for like four to six hours. Seriously, the kids only watch. What's that? Lord of the Rings. Love Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Unironically, Brian loves Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage is the greatest actor of all time. I think everybody (laughs) agrees with that, babe. Also, last night you said one of the most handsome men. Nicholas Cage, if I could be a tenth as handsome <laughs> as that man, then man, I would have gotten though? you to marry National me even earlier. In Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, those are the only three movies Sophie's watch. <laughs> yeah, and Harry Potter, unfortunately, because then they take what? spankings, boos, and say spelliamus. I'm sure we just anyway, we just lost someone. a bunch of, of <laughs> listeners. Anyway, guys, I went to public school. Like, there's only so much I can do. Let's let's jump into some questions here, babe, because we've got a lot of them, and we, we got probably I don't know three to five dozen questions sent in that were all surrounding similar issues with parents, grandparents, extended family issues. Okay. So I wanted to handle a couple of those first. Okay. And just like a couple related ones. So I'll, I'll read them for us and okay. we can we can discuss here. The first one is just like a broad question. It, it's about correcting. How can you correct? And they said correct or speak into our parents' lives while still honoring them. And they gave some examples of like a grandparent who's very crit- – uh, I mean, when they say grandparent, they mean of their children. So it's their parents. Okay. Right. Their, their parents with young kids and their, their parents, their children's grandparents, are very critical of their parenting, mm. kind of implying that they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> um, they're in, so like, how can they set a boundary there? Another okay. example was like a grandparent nearing retirement who's so heavily out of weight that they can only walk like a couple blocks before they're about to die. Oh. Various diets have been tried, but they just don't seem... They want her to be around for grandkids, yeah. but don't know how to be like, I could actually help you eat better yeah. and not eat everything from, uh, you know, as our friend John Moody says, order from the, the head of a clown, order all of your food is how he puts it. How can they encourage, correct, speak into what, what mm-hmm. comes to mind for you? I like particularly for, for the, I think this is an issue that I hear more from the ladies. I think it's because people understand how men and women work. Women are more communicative. Communicative? Is that the right word? Mm-hmm. So they're going to go to the wife before the husband. That's just how it is. They yeah. They like more time. They're more relational. They probably spend more time with the grandparents. Family events are, yeah. or, are, are organized through the women. Yeah. Almost always. Well, even just think about, I spend more time with your dad than you do. That's true. Yeah. So, actually, strangely. Yeah. It's just how it is. The dynamic with the kids. Right. But I don't know. You've kind of told me it's not our place. Unless asked. (laughs) 98% of the time, the answer that that most people wouldn't want to hear. Yeah. 98% of the time, I don't think is generally your place. Yeah. And and I'm not talking about sharing the gospel with your unbelieving parents or something like that. I mean, like about these, their diet, um, their parenting, their, you know, screen time thing, their... Most of the time, my general approach 
unless it crosses into the line of sin, like them showing my children something I think is wildly inappropriate for them. I'm not giving examples from my own life. I'm just saying like, this could be something. Yeah. yeah, That's what I was going to say. This is kind of hard because we haven't really had this issue as much. Yeah. So it'd be like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to jump in and, and, and say like, mom, dad, I really think you need to eat different than you are or or something like that. Generally speaking, because in the hierarchy, my job is not, and actually it was designed this way as well by God to where I am not in a position of great influence in instructing, teaching, changing my parents via those kind of methods. I am in a position though, where I have a great ability to honor them, respect them. Yeah. And then if you can do that, then when they do have questions, they will come and ask you. Yeah. And then it will mean more because they see like you mean business about things. Yeah. You're not just totally you know, nitpicking everything they're saying. And then when you do need to have like a corrective, like, you know, there's lots of situations like a parent, we've, yeah, we've a had people sailor's mouth around kids yeah. or like, uh, and again, not autobiographical people. I'm just, <laughs> just so you know, my, is not, I'm not imagine. talking about my, like, I don't want anybody to think that, <laughs> but I could imagine a situation like yeah, that where you yeah, have yeah. to ask grandpa, Hey, Grandpa, around the kids, can you not use curse words? Mm-hmm. Can you not take the Lord's name in vain? We've had people ask questions too, like, you know, my my older, getting older, elderly parents are getting divorced and they're handling it really mm-hmm. badly. What yeah. do I do with this? How yeah. do I talk to my kids about it? And- yeah. And there are situations like that where, where you might, there are lots of situations where children are much more spiritually mature than their parents for yes. whatever, one reason or the other. And in those kind of conversations, I think the husband needs to take the lead in talking to the in-laws or yeah. to the, his parents and to do so respectfully and privately in the, the way that Paul talks about where you're, you're not going to rebuke an older man as mm-hmm. you would a younger man. How much more an older man who is your father, right? Or your mother. So when you do think that you need to have a conversation like that, have it privately, be respectful, go out of your way. Have the conversation in many cases one time. Don't nag them about it. Like I think there's a lot of things like that that you're just generally approaching it with a with a, an air of honor. And then on the other side, I think, because this is more commonly where I've counseled pastorally, people are like, My I have such a different, a more robust vision for the Christian faith and intergenerational connectedness and things like that. And so how can I win? win my parents to this vision. And that's what I'd say. Try to win them, give them a positive vision, give them an invitation instead of phrasing it. Like, let's say that you wish your parents were more involved with the grandkids instead of phrasing it. You guys are so self-centered and I wish like, what's, why won't you just think to spend more time with us? Yeah. Instead of that, say again, privately or in an appropriate context, mom, dad, we would love to have, the kids around you more. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a way that we can invite you over once a week or is there, is there a, a way that we could help facilitate that? Mm-hmm. It's a totally different question because mm-hmm. you're starting from a position of honor. You're not starting. And you can't from be a, offended. Can't be offended if yeah. they either you try it once and it doesn't work out or they say, no, thanks. It's too busy. You can't yeah. be offended. <laughs> yeah. And that goes all the way up to big things. Like we'd like to move, you know, have you move in with us. There's yeah. m- much more robust versions of that. That might be good. Here at Brightheart, we're all about helping you not turn into a girl if you're a boy or into a boy if you're a girl. You know what might be doing that to you? The soap in your shower. And so we are pleased to introduce you to Indigo Sundry Soap 
www.thepodcastmarketingmonday.com. Link in the description, of course. Who can provide you with soaps and more without any of the nasty stuff. And because they love you, they're giving you a discount code, guys. So use code, all caps, BRIGHTHEARTH for 10% off your whole order. Support this great Christian company and support BrightHearth Podcast at the same time. Check them out at indigosundrysoap.com. And of course, that link is in the description. As a Christian, it's common to feel uneasy about where your hard-earned money is invested, especially when the S&P 500 is full of companies that are actively supporting causes that go against your faith. Stonecrop Wealth Advisors is here to help. Stonecrop offers faith-based portfolios to help you direct your hard-earned investment dollars away from such companies and toward companies that are having a positive impact on society. They also offer comprehensive financial planning to help give you peace of mind about your future that these investment dollars support. Stop investing in companies that want to tear down the things that you care about. Invest in building up God's kingdom while you grow your wealth. Contact Stonecrop Wealth Advisors today by visiting stonecropadvisors.com brighthearth or by clicking the link in the description. Investment advisory services offered through Stonecrop Wealth Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Okay, so this is a related one. Grandparents slash in-laws question, having issues with them respecting a boundary, not sure to go how to go about dealing with them. Related. Mm-hmm. I would say first, make sure your boundary is good. Yeah, yeah. Is it like a, is it an actual biblical standard or uh-huh. is it just like a preference? Because yeah. I can see like a first time mom getting fussy about things yeah. and imposing stupid boundaries that really she should just learn to honor her parents. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And like if there's a, sometimes boundaries are around things like screen time when you're mm-hmm. X place or Y place. Oh yeah. I don't want to be nearly as restrictive with that kind of thing with my kids. Yeah. If it's grandma and grandpa's house. Yeah. Then our own house. And they understand because we've talked to our kids about this. Yeah. That, that's a different, our house is every day. It's day to day to day to day. It's going to have what we want are sustainable long-term mm-hmm. boundaries. When you go to grandma and grandpa's house, they might, wa- you might stay up later. Yeah. You might watch more, tell you know, movies it's or whatever. Different. That's great. We're excited about that. So have a good and reasonable boundary. When it's a good boundary, though, again, husband. Yeah. He needs to take the lead. And just go have the conversation. Go have the hard, awkward conversation privately and yeah. respectfully. There's not really a way around that. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Sometimes it can be appropriate for, for the wife to have that conversation, too, depending on the, like, if it's her mother or yeah. a, a lady in the family, sometimes that can be. But generally, it's like, Figure it out. Husband needs to figure it out. And if it's a reasonable boundary and they're reasonable people that you want to be around, they're going to understand. If it's unreasonable, but they're reasonable, they're not going to understand. Mm -hmm. If it's, if they're unreasonable, you probably don't want to be around them. Cause I can think of examples of people that just are really bad examples on totally to the grandkids. And yeah. So yeah. And we've got a related one here about dealing with parents who are not Christians. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Interacting with your children. Okay. We've gotten a lot of these questions and this is the last interfamily one for a minute here. So just how do you, how do you deal with that? You get non-Christian parents. I've counseled a lot of folks in church around this situation because it's so common mm-hmm. when a listener who aligns closely as they would say with our kind of our 
philosophy of parenting and Christian faith and life. You've got non-Christian or nominally Christian parents involved, and they're totally different. They don't agree. Um, how do you deal with that? Well, I think nominal is different from oppositional, right? Totally. There's a spectrum. So are you saying that these are just purely nominal? Well, they, they said not Christians, but I've also counseled a lot of where okay, it's like, well, oh yeah, they, they've always said they've been a Christian, but they never go to church and they've, they don't look like a Christian at all. Yeah. But if I, you ask them like, well, the Bible says this, they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian too, but don't judge me. Yeah. There's only so much fellowship you can have with a person like that. And that's key. Yeah. I mean, you try to do what you can with them, you know, even if it's spending holidays with them, you know, you being hospitable, yeah. inviting them alongside, but again, don't get offended, but also you just, there is a reality. You just can't be in fellowship with somebody who's walking a path away from Christ. Yeah. You have to recognize that all Christians are on a ship to glory. You're going one way. And if you're not on that ship, you're not traveling to that same destination. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to travel through your life in the same way. Mm -hmm. So you have natural obligations to honor. Yeah. And those are, you must honor. Whether you're talking about a non-Christian parent or not, you have natural obligations. And you need to be the one in demonstration of the grace of Christ who goes out of your way to demonstrate undeserved graciousness to them. That's what grace is. It's, yeah. You didn't deserve it. But and also being responsible on the other side that you have duties to your children and you must protect them. And, pr yeah. and, and so there's, it's a balancing act some of the time. Yeah. Even if it is somebody who's a genuinely horrible parent, you, you still have to have the disposition not to be trusting immediately, but to be immediately forgiving and have a disposition to believe the best and encourage yeah. if they ever do realize like, Oh man, I've been you know, horrible grandparent to my grandkids or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean you need to trust them right away. Yeah. You know, I still have to be wise, but, but you do need that disposition of being forgiving. And so you're going to have places where you totally disagree. Discipline is going to be one of them where it's like, we're going to spank or we're going to, you know, correct our children over disobedience where my non-Christian uh, grandparent or in-law, whoever might, might be like, Oh, that, you know, that's stop it. That's so cute. You just give them like a piece of candy and they'll be better, you know? <laughs> and you have to be genuinely careful about that because you're responsible for the discipleship of your children. Let's say that you had a non-Christian parent and you were like, yeah, and I'm going to, and they have totally different things, perspective on these. And I'm going to have them watch my, my children for a majority of the day, every weekday, probably a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. As much as that stinks probably a bad idea. So you're trying to keep a balance between the natural relationship that you have by virtue of your situation in the family and a genuinely higher allegiance to the moral authority and command of Christ. And you just have to exercise wisdom in that relationship. Yeah. It's, it's difficult sometimes, but I think that's where it comes down to is having good principles, being flexible, but also making sure that you're firm where you need to be. On like, I'm not going to, for the sake of, you know, quote unquote, having a good witness to them, be like, yeah, my kids can totally watch Oppenheimer uncensored in your house because you don't think nudity in a movie is that big of a deal. Well, no, I'm sorry. No, you're there. It's not going to happen. Okay. This is a very similar question. Should Christian women wear bikinis or revealing swimwear? A similar question, huh? Should Christian men be without a shirt in, in these? I'm assuming they mean in mixed company. <laughs> 
If the answer is no, why go to places where it's common to dress this way? That's the question. And obviously here on Bright Hearth, we say yes, bikinis as, as revealing as possible. You should, in fact, the, in the garden, nobody wore clothes. So we should just all be nudists, right? Uh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I literally went viral and had like shoe companies on Twitter, like Adidas, sending me rude tweets <laughs> for saying that women should dress modestly at one point. So what do you yeah. think, babe? Should our bikinis... Bikinis are out. Are good? Bikinis out. are out. Like we should wear them out. No, you should not wear them no, out. No, okay, no, not. In your bedroom, that's it. That's it. <laughs> this is such an obvious question to me. And this is so... You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like... It's not obvious to other people, though. And I know. this is why I think... because So yeah. the, this person's at least trying to be consistent. Yeah, totally. We do believe that men should also wear shirts. In mixed company, I do believe men should wear shirts. I will say with some of our little boys, mm -hmm. when they're little, 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 I don't care about this as much. Like toddler under kindergarten. But that's kinda. also why I don't care about them having full swimsuits. They're probably the baby that's running around in a diaper anyways, sort of a sure. thing. Yeah. Obviously we're training them to be modest and putting clothes on them. And as they have yep. more brothers and sisters, it is a little bit different, but we do think a general rule in mixed company outside of your family, especially that men should also be wearing. Yeah, I agree. Bikinis are out. And, and, and to me, it's obvious because I don't say it to be patronizing if you've never heard that before, but genuinely, if you just think about what a bikini is, it is underwear made out of different, slightly different fabric. Uh -huh. So if you would not wear a bra and panties or whatever out in public, you shouldn't wear a bikini out in public. People would, though. <laughs> I know they would, but they're just... People also, I don't know, Put use canola oil to fry their french fries or tater yeah. tots at home. You, ladies, just like be honest. If you can see your private parts, that's not a good thing. <laughs> no, it's, it's not a good thing in public to reveal your private parts. And the biblical principle, generally speaking, that, that I think is at hand here... There are modesty people always, especially libs, they'll always say like the modesty passages passages are mainly talking about not flaunting your wealth and things like that. I'm like, yes, it is also yeah. contra Paul to have wild displays of wealth when you gather in worship or like to you know basically flaunt ostentatiously. Ostentatiously, yeah. yes, that is also a kind of immodesty. What we're talking about biblically though is actually the concept of covering and uncovering your nakedness. Mm -hmm. That's the issue with clothing yourself, where from the garden, the, the fall of man forward, um, men and women are to be covered and their nakedness particularly is to be covered. And it seems biblically that the way the biblical authors thought about nakedness was that it was generally you were uncovering yourself inappropriately if the, the region between like your, you know, like your thigh to your shoulder area is like that should be covered in public men. And I think men and women, and then in, in, in mixed company, mm -hmm. in, in unmixed company where it's all men, I don't care. That's fine. You know, yeah. like in principle, even the whole like Greek wrestling thing where the men were all nude. I, I mean, I guess if, if you, mm -hmm. if it seems like it would be uncomfortable, but <laughs> you know, so our boys would love that. Oh boy. It's for the ease. They like no clothing know, to worry exactly. about. Yeah, it's easy. Uh, if the answer is no, why go to places where it's common address that way? And our answer is generally we, we try we to avoid them. Like we have gone to indoor pools and things like that where there are, but yeah, it's just not a recreation we do regularly. Yeah. We're more going to go like 
hang out by the river with a friend or something yeah, or just us or grandparents and cousins or something. Mm. But yeah, we're not gonna, we're not the family that gets pool passes every summer. No. Okay. Very closely related question again. Okay. Sabbath tips, Sabbath. tips regarding food prep on the Sabbath to make the time more restful for wives and moms. Okay. I think it's a great question Yeah, because a lot of the time on the Lord's day, and I'm just assuming right now, I'm not even going to argue for it. I'm assuming a basically Westminsterian view of the Sabbath in the sense that what they mean by this question is the first day of the week, Sunday on the Lord's day, the day we gather for worship, how can we make that a day of rest mm -hmm. for particularly mama? Yeah. How have we approached that? I feel like we've settled on a more solid Sabbatarian view the last six months, probably you've probably longer, but me wrestling through the details of that, like, no, mm -hmm. this actually is really good uh -huh. while also taking back up the good work of hospitality on Sundays. So it's been kind of a double edged yeah. sword for me in a way, particularly for travelers. Yeah. That's, that's for a lot visitors. of what it is for visitors. Um, like to our church. So for me, I did start cereal Sundays after I talked to Miss Page about genius. I can't remember. I think she said something about they were trying to find like a good quality, no sugar cereal. And I was like, Hey, Brian loves these heritage flakes. You should try them. <laughs> They're like $60 for a bag. <laughs> and they, they're, they're so expensive. Actually, they're not that crazy because they have to get in a time machine and travel <laughs> back to the 1600s to a peasant farm. It's like $10 and they for take their a big bag. It's bigger than a regular bag of cereal. I've slightly exaggerated. Okay. That was really funny though. But they are good, especially with raw milk, which is $80 but a gallon. I don't know why. When I was telling her about it, I was like, why haven't I done that for Sundays? And kids love it because they, they don't it. get it so every now day. now I do cereal Sundays. They think cereal is like a special breakfast. Yes. And they think like you cooking them. when we're postpartum. They think you cooking them like eggs and sausage and, and baked and goods and is and like, cakes. this I is know. a boring, normal breakfast. And then you yeah. give them cereal and they're like, oh, mom, you shouldn't spoil us like this. So, so that's what I do now, which it opens up so much time on my Sundays, which is hysterical because- mm -hmm. The, especially if we're at Sunday school, the kids are up at seven and we have to be in yeah. class by what time? 8.15? Yeah, we, ha we have to be there by 8.15 because I teach most of the time. Yeah, but it gives me so much time to prep other things. I We just have been a lot better at tidying Sunday, Saturday nights, the house. Yeah. But I am also like, I don't care. Everybody, if someone's coming over to our church after lunch, at, coming over to our house after church for lunch, mm -hmm. they understand I've been at church all morning. It was a busy morning. My house isn't going to be perfect. I'm not no, worried about we it. We literally don't care. Yeah. We want it to be usable, but it's not going to be spotless. Which would be, it's easier in some ways because I have older kids, but my kids do like to stay at, with dad at church a lot. So I don't actually always have the older help when I come home. They come home later with dad sometimes. But I have had like a list of rotating really easy meals. I don't like... Like to me, just having something easy like grilled cheese, it isn't easy because I'm actually on my feet a lot more, just like a regular meal. And it's actually not very filling because there's no meat involved in something like that. So I would rather cook something like a taco soup or beef stew is what I did this last week for guests. And mm -hmm. it was a great recipe, guys. Um, it's, it's from Once Upon a Chef. I literally had, I was panicking because 
I knew we were having an out of town family and I, I don't know what happened. Stuff kept happening and I was not cooking dinner and I needed to have dinner completely ready when we got back. Mm -hmm. And I found this recipe really last minute that was uh, beef stew from once upon a chef. It was super good. You chopped everything, cooked it, sauteed it for just a few minutes, and then you stick it in the oven for two hours. It was good. Which was perfect because then it was ready when we walked in the door from church. And it had balsamic vinegar, which a lot of other beef stews, I've never had one like that. It I was, thought it was really, really good. good. I love beef stew. And I just simply paired it with sourdough and honey butter. Mm -hmm. And I don't worry about dessert on Sundays. I just don't. No. Because I feel like the honey butter is enough that everyone kind of feels like, oh, that was a sweet treat sort of a thing. Yeah. But that's it. I just like you and I kind of came up with a few different soups that was like, okay to rotate through or we've done just Mexican on Sundays. We did quesadillas. I did after we had a very large group recently, I learned my lesson and I canned up a bunch of ground beef mm -hmm. and um, chopped up chicken after yeah. that and beans because I realized I didn't have, it, it was just, I needed more ready protein on hand basically. Yeah. So I have that now and I could easily walk in the door and dump and make taco soup within a few minutes. So yeah. that has really helped me is just having a lot of canned food on hand for Sundays too. So yeah, just keep it simple. Um, and I asked Lexi, like, I don't know how long ago if she could accommodate to where I could invite somebody literally after church service. If somebody came up and met, me at church and they were new or traveling through. And I could say, Hey, can you come over? Would you like to come over for lunch that mm -hmm. we would be able to accommodate, accommodate that. Yeah, and that fun. came with, let's really simplify. Yeah. Cause cooking, I, I do agree that on the Lord's day, it shouldn't be the day of your most strenuous hospitality. Yes. So I'm not saying no hospitality, but it shouldn't be the day when mom is going all out and doing five courses and she's doing backbreaking labor, A, because it's probably going to tempt her not to participate in worship properly. She's going to be like, oh, you know what? I got to go late because I got to do this. I got to run right out because I've got my souffle to and make I do or whatever. Run right out. I do run out, but it's not because of the food. It's because of the kids. We have six children. The kids and will I'm, run out if I don't leave. <laughs> I'm pastoring. I'm not there to help. So there's a, it's a different from, an, you know, but those are how we've thought through it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's helpful. I really like it when churches have like a, a Sunday after church lunch together. We just don't have any place big enough for our church. Yeah. yeah and there are multiple families doing the same thing as us now. And yeah. I really like it. It's been, yeah, I've really been blessed by it. And then folks come out, come out and you know, it's good. Um, okay. What's here's another one. What are some important, we got a lot of this. What are some important questions to ask a church you're considering joining? There's so many that you could ask. So I would, I'm assuming that you know the obvious ones. Like, I'm just going to assume that. Like, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God and in the Trinity and in mm -hmm. like, I'm assuming that you've done your basic due diligence and now you're, you've zeroed in on a church that's like generally within the stream of churches that you're like, this is theologically where we land. And then more looking for some less easy to find out stuff. I would ask them what they did in 2020 with That's COVID. That's what I was going to say. And why? And would they do anything different? You've also uh, told people to ask about like what they actually believe about gender roles. Yeah, I would ask them like, um, you know, do you believe that uh, a woman president would be a good thing? That's a question. And and just like, what do you think? And genuinely listen. Like, I'm not trying to argue or change their mind necessarily. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, I want to find out what they're like. And honestly, I, they also don't want you there if you're at opposition. No. So 
hopefully they won't take it as like a weird attack. No, when people ask me questions and I'm like, oh, they wouldn't like it here. I'm like, I'm going to give them the clearest answer I could to make sure that they know. I would ask them when was a recent example of church discipline in their church and tell me more about it. Uh How does that work? Do you practice church discipline? Um, I would ask them, do they believe that Christian education is a requirement in principle that parents ought to provide their children with a Christian education and by that, as opposed to a secular or government education, like a government school, I would ask them if they listen to Brighthearth. That's an obvious shit. You could ask, like, who are you Just reading kidding. from? Yeah, who, who are, are you reading? learning from? If I say the words Douglas Wilson, what do you think? Yeah, that's true. Or, you know, if I say the word Calvinism, what do you think? Yeah. Like, those are the kind of questions, cultural questions, discipline questions, like church practice and function. I would I would ask a lot of those culture questions about family, home. Do you think that um, a husband should be the bread or breadwinner in the family? Um, do you think that it would ever be appropriate for a woman, even who's not a pastor, to preach on a Sunday? A lot of those questions. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other ones, but that's a thumbnail. Yeah, those are great ones. Those are some thumbnails. Do you desire to be shrewd financially for your family? It takes wisdom and dedication to build and pass on personal wealth as mature, responsible leaders must. Joe Garrisey with Backwards Planning Financial is at your side to integrate investments, debt, insurance, tax strategies, and legacy planning in a holistic approach. He coaches his clients to act wisely with the resources God expects us to turn a profit on, to love our children and grandchildren well. Tap on the link to his website in the description and contact him to get started. Or visit him directly at backwardsplanningfinancial.com. This is a really specific one, but I thought it was interesting. We got this one like the first day we opened questions and I just, it wasn't big enough for a whole episode. Okay. So I've been waiting for an opportunity. It said, we would love to hear your thoughts. And that was all caps love, love to hear your thoughts on how to navigate historical European art that tends to show a lot of nudity, whether it's at a museum or a piece of art that shows a nude or a marble statue in our world of rampant pornography. How would you approach this with children? Thank you so much. I don't know if we agree on this. I don't know. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, go for it. And <laughs> there then you I'll go. Say, and then I you agree. can see if you. <laughs> what he says. <laughs> see how submissive I am? <laughs> <laughs> I do not believe that we should be um, creating art of this sort or participating in it today. So I am not for, I don't think that they were correct to do that. Okay. In the, it, whether it's, and I'm talking about amazing works of beautiful art that are technically excellent and genuinely beautiful objectively. And they're doing something that is interesting. The human form is very interesting. And learning about it is very important to painting with realism. So that's all true. But I still believe that the more uh, important principle is that we ought not to be looking at another person's nakedness whose nakedness we have no right to uncover. And I think that includes hypothetical people that would train us to desire or normalize that idea or practice. So I've had actually like hours long arguments with all of my friends. Like we've talked, we've pitched this back and forth a million times and I'm very sympathetic to the whole like, it's historic art. There's good reasons for it. Blah, 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 blah. It's beautiful. I would censor all of it if I was in charge of the Louvre or a big cathedral 
I'd be like, oh, they were wrong. Yeah, just when, just like I would also, if I had the Sistine Chapel, full disclosure, I would paint over the God, God, God Almighty in the creation, touching Adam's yeah. finger, um, because it's 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 a Second Commandment violation. It's in my view. interesting too when you think about the reason they were so obsessed with revealing nudity is because they had a very embodied vision of virtue, and they thought uh-huh. it looked like a very fit body. But you can see even there, their end goal of virtue was still misguided. Yeah. If that makes sense. So that in part helps me deal with that. Like, well, that's Mm -hmm. why they wanted to do that. And that's why as a Christian, I can say that's not what it is though. And we don't need to be showing that. There's no need. And it doesn't, you don't need it to create beautiful art because some of the most beautiful art ever created is not, includes no You don't need it. You really don't need it. It's not necessary. The only thing, the one thing I heard Doug say once, because Doug doesn't fall on your camp, I guess you could say. Sure. He just said, like, if you have a a boy that comes to you and he's lusting because of something he's seeing in a museum, there's something further down the road that you screwed up on. It's not the fact that he went to a museum and saw that. There's something else that should have been. So what do you think about that? I understand what Pastor Wilson is saying there and and respect the heck out of him. I just totally disagree. Okay. I think it's a fit, fitting desire Uh for a young man who sees a naked woman to okay. sexually desire her. And I think God created him thus. And he must have ordered desires. So when he has a desire for a woman whom he does not have the right to, not his wife, that's a disordered desire and it should be put to death. It's a sinful desire, which is not the same thing as noticing that something is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Noticing that a woman is beautiful or a woman noticing that a man is attractive is not a sin. Uh-huh. lusting is a sin. Mm-hmm. So it's Jesus could walk through a museum full of nudes uh-huh. and he would never sin. Jesus could walk through a crowd of naked women and he would never sin because he doesn't have the corresponding inward sinful desire. Um, but in that, in that situation, I do think there is something wrong with the scene in that people have created uh, a situation where something that is meant to represent a human is also inappropriately uncovering the nakedness of that person, which I think is a clear principle. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's because we really like this art and we like periods of history where they made it and things like that. It tempts us to be like, mm-hmm. give them excuses or come up with labyrinthine arguments for why it's okay. Where if I did it today, like if yeah, I started painting to, nudes, you have to nobody, ask yourself that you have to be honest about yeah. what would I do today? Would I want to replicate yeah. that? And the answer is, just to be clear, I did yeah. agree with you now that okay. you say yeah. I've just always wondered, and I've just never asked you because I haven't needed to, because you always tell me to censor stuff anyways. I have always wondered what you would say to what Doug said. Yeah, I'd never heard him say that. So and maybe yeah. in his full thing there'd be something and in there I that used I didn't. To, I used to tr- take that whole it's historical, don't destroy mm-hmm. it approach. But when I started thinking about, yeah, but why were they what was it that they were saying about the physical body that that is where virtue ends up? Then, then I was able to be like, okay, but from a Christian perspective, that's, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's, it's, you're trying to marry principles that, yeah, um, they're contradictory. So, and I take this approach to a lot of historical questions. I think we need to be careful when we're evaluating Christian history and we're doing a whole season on the King's hall about Christian history that we need to be careful not to get carried away by our love for our forefathers, which we mm-hmm. should have. It's a proper affection. 
to where we can't objectively weigh there. Someone could look back on my life mm-hmm. and I, I, especially when I'm in the great cloud of witnesses, like I would want them to be objective about where I sinned, where I didn't even yeah, see I it see at the time. Saying. You wouldn't want them to just be like, Oh, he was so great. Like no. be reasonable people. Cause it, it's better for their yeah. present culture if, for them to obey the Lord and not yeah. be disobedient, especially I don't want to be the one responsible for leading them astray. Just a few more here. Some, some quick I ones. I remember. I don't, I feel like I don't remember Francis Schaefer ever talking about nudity. It's hard to find Christians addressing it. Yeah, it is hard to find. Because I think most of them are I don't, torn. I don't even think uh, Rookmacher, I don't think he talked about it either. But I, I, I know he has multiple books on art. I've only read one of them. Though. Yeah, I don't recall. This one, I, I can't remember if I brought this this one up before, but I thought this was a kind of a funny comment. So I, I'm just going to, I've noticed that you guys give examples of areas where you've sinned in your marriage. It's usually disclaimed with a comment about how you don't do it anymore. It was years ago. Why not open up about current patterns of sin or disagreement even? <clears throat> Understand not disclosing private details or matters, but there's an impression that you don't struggle with the day-to-day sins, conflicts, any average over a healthy marriage would still have. I feel very strongly about this. And I just found a scriptural principle to help me understand why we shouldn't be airing our dirty laundry. Yeah. I'm reading. Well, it's because we don't have any. I'm just kidding. Go I have ahead. a pile of clean laundry right behind <laughs> me. We've got to put away, but go ahead. <laughs> I don't think it's a principle that Christians should be airing their dirty laundry. And in The Secret Key, I think is what's called, by Thomas Brooks, he talks about how when we're openly flippant with our sin, it causes one another to stumble, as well as it causes unbelievers to stumble because of how they're seeing Christians struggle. It's not wrong to struggle. We just don't want it to be like the banner that we're flying. But he takes a principle from Malachi. I think it was Malachi 12 or two, where when the husbands and wives are grieving over their sin, it actually says the husbands and wives are to go grieve separately. And Thomas Brooks, maybe you have a different opinion. Thomas Brooks says that husbands and wives are responsible for the Lord. And so they should not be like, getting embittered together about their sin. They need Mm -hmm. to go repent alone to the Lord, deal with it on their own. And then when you come back as a community, it's to be back in joy and fellowship with one another. Unless it is like a, there are examples in scripture where it's like a mass group of people repenting together for something that the nation did. Yeah. But the husbands and wives were to go before the Lord on their own. And he was saying that that's an example where even, and I agree 100% on this, husbands and wives should not be bringing up gossip in the home. They Mm -hmm. should not be like, if a husband says, don't talk about that topic because it tempts me to sin for whatever reason, to Mm -hmm. anger, to be uncharitable, then a wife has no business doing that. So I think it's, I think it's hard because this is not normal for most people. It's hard Mm -hmm. to see that it actually can happen. Does that make sense? Having a peaceful, having peaceful and not and like also, a false view of what authentic means yeah. Mm-hmm. because it's not actually, I've, I've talked to, I'm sorry if I'm going, do you agree with this so far? Yeah. Okay. So I've had a lot of young moms the last couple of years that come to the church and they're like really excited and then they get really depressed and they're like, well, you know, I'm just really struggling in all these ways and you guys all seem to have it together. And I have to be like, you know, they'll give me an example of something they're struggling with. And I'll have to say, well, that person struggled with that three years ago. That person's going through that right now. That person took care of that last month. That person counseled so-and-so about that last year. Mm -hmm. And I have to show her, tell people that like, 
the good glorious things that you're seeing that you should be longing for are the fruit of people struggling through those things. Yeah. But that, because we're like you, you've, you said this earlier, we are on the way to glory. Uh huh. We're not, Paul constantly says this, like press on, keep pressing on, like yeah. forget the past, forget the past, keep pressing on. Throwing off any weight or sin yes. that entangles us and pressing yes. on toward the prize. I just don't think people know what that actually looks like in day to day life. Yeah, we have a kind of therapeutic model where the way that we overcome these things is by talking about them endlessly instead yes. of repenting of them. And I, I will say, even in terms of women's counseling, I've had pretty drastic paradigm changes in the last couple months, thinking through a lot of this more in terms of like our membership vows to one another doesn't mean you just get to emote at each other. No, that's not actually the, the path forward. No. The path is self-control. Yeah. It's self-rule. So I would say a lot of similar things that uh, we have a false view of like authenticity in our culture where we're much more comfortable with the idea of a pastor, even in his sermons, yeah, who's constantly saying like, and I screwed up in this and I screwed up in this and I screwed up in that. And what we're, and we're very uncomfortable with the idea of moral exemplar. Someone where, where like a pastor should actually be a moral exemplar mm-hmm. and he shouldn't be a pastor if he's not a moral exemplar. But and yet that is the biblical qualification. Yeah. So yeah. In in the sense that Lexi and I have no business having a podcast about the productive Christian household, where Lexi's trying to speak to a lot of women and I'm, you know, we're we're trying to talk into this. Like we shouldn't be doing that if we're not qualified in our home. Yeah. If we sh- if if someone couldn't imitate our marriage and have a good marriage in its authenticity or whatever, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. And that, that the reason that we think we, we assume that that's always arrogance. Yeah. But, and yet that that's just the biblical data. Like leadership actually means something. Qualifications actually matter. Yeah. A, a pastor's true. not qualified, qualified if he does not manage his household. Well, if his children are not yeah. faithful, like there, there are many, many passages like, like this in the biblical data that we tend to valorize authenticity. And by that, we just mean people who actually are not being a moral exemplar in an area yeah. where like, it's actually so common now that I've even heard pastors who are like, look, brothers, we all struggle with porn. Like, oh my gosh. I know that, you know, oh I failed so many times recently. I'm like, you're disqualified wait, 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 wait. for the ministry. Are you serious? Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh my God. And so, you know, instead of <laughs> what people need, like, let's take that issue is to say like, no, you really can repent of that sin. I do not look at porn, yes, nor do any yeah. of the other pastors in this church. And it's not, an imp- this is not something that you're going to have to manage for the rest of your life. Yeah. You can kill it and stop. The last time you looked at porn could be the last time ever yeah. that you intentionally seek out. Yeah. Like you, we need to be able to say that. And when pastors and leaders and fathers have no moral authority to say that, um, we've substituted a cheap version of moral authority, which is authenticity. Um, so the reason is that when we have areas where we're really like actually working through something, we've, we've actually talked about those before, those yeah. kinds of things too. But it's not appropriate for us to bring those to this kind of platform. Yeah, it's in some ways it's none of y'all's business because yeah, you, you guys are not the answer. Yeah any of the things that we have openly struggled with, I can even think of things recently that we're working, Mm -hmm. not us just like family related things. Yeah. The elders families all know about them. The people who are actually qualified to help us are the ones who know about 
and the different things we're trying to figure and out. And why would we be teaching on a matter? Yeah. If we just stopped doing it six minutes ago. Yeah. We shouldn't be. No. So we're je- we're going to teach on things. It's like, oh yeah, you know what? Early in our marriage, we faced that. Mm-hmm. And here's how we worked through it. Yeah. And it's not an issue anymore. Genuinely, like it's not an issue. So so I think a big thing is just, you know, we're not, we're not like hiding things. It's not, no. we're not secretly like have a terrible marriage. We we have a great marriage. The flirtation is real. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just going to, we, we're out of time. So last one. Okay. My wife and I have wondered about 1 Corinthians 14, 34. This verse has been taken out of context to mean that women should never speak inside the four walls of the building of the church. There's me. And they should talk to their husbands at home. But it's also loosely applied to mean that women should just not speak from the pulpit. So they're laying out like two basic guardrails on one side. There's the view that 1 Corinthians 14, 34 is simply saying, Paul's way of saying women shouldn't preach like he says elsewhere, first Timothy, or is it saying literally like they've heard a woman shouldn't open her mouth and verbalize any syllable while she's inside of the church building. Paul says, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. As the law also says, there is anything they desire to learn. Let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So I guess they're just asking what's our view. And I should probably answer that. I was going to say, you, I know my view. It. What's yeah, your yeah, view, you babe? Cause that's my view. Um, yeah. No. I actually read a great article about this recently on the PCA historical oh, good. website. So Sweet. yeah, I, I probably am going to say a lot. I mean, based what I would say is that this, this passage does not mean something like a woman couldn't greet somebody in the church yes. building or couldn't, you know, sing in, in, in during the singing portion of the service uh-huh. or respond in responsive, like we have responsive portions in a service. But I would hold that a woman should not be publicly addressing the congregation. So we don't have women publicly address the congregation, whether in corporate prayer or in reading of scripture or in preaching or teaching we don't have that. And that's generally what I think Paul is talking about. What do you think? Like what What was, I would take it a little farther where I am no longer comfortable commenting in settings where men might be commenting. Oh yeah. I've talked to other friends of mine who don't even necessarily ask for clarification from males that are teaching. They literally go to their husband because then it's awkward because it's like, so the pastor says one thing, the husband might not disagree or he might have a different opinion on the matter. Then he just has to go home and reteach it anyways. So I see the practicalities of why Paul is saying, ask your husband. Yeah. I don't think that's more strict. I would agree with that. Okay. That's just a different application. Like in a setting where there's a Bible study or something like that. I agree. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, I think Paul says here, ask your husband if you and- want and what that yeah. does is it 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 makes your husband feel the the weight of yes. his responsibility. Yes, it puts that there. It also like a woman who has a struggle with this, it shows immediately that she just wants to show her intellect before yeah. others. If if you are genuinely struggling to not talk and not show off and not show the, you know, yeah. the new study that you did about that verse, then there is a problem there. And, and, and that's yeah. where, that's why verse chapters like this are or verses like this are very sanctifying to women Yeah, is because 
Typically, we live in a culture that wants women to show off all of that stuff, yet scripture seems to have a protection for us and for our good there. Yeah, and it's the the passage is very much focused on her submission to her husband. Yeah. And the the lawful ordering of the hierarchy where where she is submitting in in you know, where there's authority and submission. So, generally speaking, yeah, just like we're we're very much in the old school reformed stream of how we would answer that question, which yeah. means that most people would think we're absolutely crazy in the evangelical world in the, with the idea yeah. of not having a female worship leader. Yeah. Which I wouldn't, yeah. which we would not have. <laughs> or uh, in the past in the church, we've had like ladies give announcements or something like that. We and, have? Yeah. And, and, and as elders, we were cl- at the time, we were like a Calvary chapel at this point. But even then we were like, we're going to make it clear that the worship has not begun oh, even during yeah. announcements. After that, an elder is going to stand up and say, and now we're going to begin our corporate worship time. Um, we, we wouldn't do that even and haven't for a, you know, a long time, but it, uh, it, that's the kind of, in terms of decorum, mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to present here is that men are called to lead in the church lead in, mm-hmm. in the singing and in the reading and in the preaching and in the praying. And ladies are called to submit to their husbands and actually demonstrate that uh, their respect for their husband yeah, by actually asking him, giving yeah. him an opportunity to lead his home spiritually instead yeah. of circumventing that. It's just good for women in general to realize they have a temptation to be talkative. <laughs> that is and Paul is not, too keen on talkative women. <laughs> oh boy. So we're going to end this season with an uncontroversial note, <laughs> not get in trouble with anybody and say, yeah, like just maybe ask your husband at home, ladies, <laughs> just, just ask him. That's going to be the end of this season of bright hearth guys. Like I said, we're going to have a few episodes in the interim where we cover some, you know, other topics that aren't going to fit in the next season. I won't spoil it yet, but season four, we'll be back with some, a, a great new focus an emphasis for that season that's still orbiting around our productive Christian household aim. And uh, we hope this is edifying to you guys. If you'd like to support the the show and help continue to make it possible, we have a link to our Patreon channel where we release in a weekly in the kitchen, short little practical podcast episode, often even just Lexi talking through something practical from managing the home. And uh, that is down in the description there if you want to head to patreon.com slash bright hearth and we're thankful for you guys support listening in and honored that you would make us a part of your routine so lord bless you guys and we'll catch you next time on bright hearth